Hi, this is Janesh. And this is Pranab. You're tuned in to the 30 Minute Hustle podcast. The world is changing all around us every day. The careers that are there right now are not going to be the careers that are options for our kids when they come to grade 12 and above. right um so the idea is how do we instill these kind of life worthy skills that they need to succeed in that ever changing world what were the definition of success is for them hey guys how's it going today me and my co-host arjun have vani on the 30 minute hustle podcast vani is the co-founder of the seer academy which is a chain of play schools present across south india after completing her stint at mckinsey in the us she flew back india to change how education works and impacting many lives. Hope you enjoy this podcast where she talks about her passion for education, teaching and her love for books. Yeah, so um thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited for my virgin podcast uh, episode I'd say. <laughs> um so yeah, I think for me my journey, I mean I'm born and was born in the US brought up in India and i think for me my family played a really huge role as i think family does for most people so my move back from the US to India to start uh, um, to work with my uncle's BPO company they were the pioneers of BPO in India oh, wow. and i've grown up kind of seeing entrepreneurs all around me so you know i saw them grow from like 0 to 4000 employees back in the 1990s and uh, would play around the office and you know i think for me you know my schooling was in chennai so i i've been in three different schools three very different schooling experiences and um i think my journey in education though really started when my mom started uh, seed school that school for enrichment in education and development when i was 14 so i think you know when you're a teenager it's a very um interesting time when i think a lot of impressions for your lifetime get made and for me working with the school i was always like my mom's little tail i would like paint walls and you know run summer camps and i was always involved like be hanging out there after school hours and stuff like that so i think seeing that firsthand seeing the kind of change one person can bring about um and the impact that one person's ideas can have on so many different lo- young lives i think that made a lifelong impression and that kind of became the focus of that i knew i eventually wanted to end up so yeah that's Absolutely. kind of the start of that journey okay so being a business analyst at mckinsey from not wrong so how did you look into coming back to teach again in india like so what was that calling of yours So I was at Wharton for my undergrad. Um I was very lucky. I was like one of one of five people from India to be in my program. So very very lucky to be a part of that. When I was a senior at Wharton, I took this class called The Literature of Success with uh, Professor Richard Shell and he has a book if you ever want to read it called Springboard uh which I could suggest if you want to know more about kind of what his research was. But I think that class really changed my perspective of what one should do when you grow up so i mean just to give you a bit of background at wharton the typical streams that everyone wants to go to is either i banking or consulting and that's kind of if you do that then you've kind of made it 
right? And then you're set for success. Um, I did do that round. So I did want to get the training. Uh, I was lucky enough to be chosen by McKinsey and I had uh, taken, I'd done my summer internship there. And when I did my senior year and I did this literature class of success class, like you have to come up with your own view. And in doing that research and doing that kind of soul searching activity as a 22 year I realized something that was really important to me. And while I knew that the work at McKinsey would give me good training and would give me great exposure, I knew that wasn't going to be my life's meaningful work. It is meaningful work for many others, but it wasn't what would give my life meaning. And so I always knew I wanted to come back. It was just a matter of kind of when. Awesome. I think, um, I think just first off, I, I didn't know you were born in the U.S. Actually, I couldn't, having known you all this while, I thought, you know, you were uh, born brought up in Chennai and, you know, you've been here most of your life, at least. But, uh, you know, apart from Wharton, because you, you've obviously told us about that. But um, right, that's quite interesting to know. Um, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how, um, you know, it's a family run business, but also you're dealing with a lot of families as well. So can you tell mm-hmm. us how that uh, sort of helps you or how does it uh, take it across to, you know, the entire ecosystem? One of the big things, um, you know, we are a family run unit. So people don't like to associate the word business with education uh, typically, but um, it is family run. And I think that has its advantages and uh, sure it has disadvantages as well, right? So the biggest advantage is that we have complete control over what's happening at the school. So our beliefs and our ethos is what kind of drives the entire school ecosystem. And I think sometimes when you have, uh, you know, promoters who are just in it for the money and you have someone else running the school, there can sometimes be, you know, different constraints that are put on people and visions don't necessarily become reality or there are differences of opinions. So in this case, the because uh, my mom and I are in it 100%, it's our skin in the game, it's our baby. We're able to mold it as for the vision that we really believe in. And our vision is about quality. So like we don't do anything to compromise the quality of education that we're giving our kids. And I think we are lucky enough to be able to pursue that wholeheartedly without the other constraints holding us back or other pressures holding us back. Um, the disadvantage is obviously that we're a very small team. Right. There are uh, other chains and other people who have grown their schools to humongous uh, numbers, you know, impacting a lot more lives. And um, that's something that, you know, that sort of growth and scale in that direction is something that hasn't necessarily driven us as people, my mom and me. So, you know, in a way, that's a disadvantage. Someone in someone else's hand seed could have been the San India 2000 chain huge network of preschools and instead we're quite small we're quite niche and we're quite focused i don't think it's a bad thing it's just different and i think it's a it's a, it's a function of who we are as people so uh, so when, when you go talk on, about on, publishing your own books and you decide your own curriculum so and i do certainly believe that grassroots education is the structure that should be built on in india to you know be a better nation out of it so what is the culture you want to instill in these mm-hmm. grassroots levels and what kind of curriculum do you focus on? Because I know you, you have developed mm-hmm. uh, the IB curriculum for your school. So what are you trying to bring out 
in terms of ethos and vision of your school in a grassroots level? So uh, just a quick thing, we are not an IB school, we're an IGCSC, so slight okay. difference there. Although okay. IB is phenomenal and if I could, I would do it for my kids. It's just that it's not within our price bracket at all. So um, we're not an IB school. That being said, I think the vision is really to bring the right kind of education for our children in India. Like how do we make it developmentally appropriate? How do we make it fun? How do we remove that fear of learning that somehow gets instilled in our kids? Um, how do we make them curious? How do we help them question the world around them? How do we help them develop their own passions and understanding of who they are as people so that they can flourish in careers of their choice? Right? The world is changing all around us every day. The careers that are there right now are not going to be the careers that are options for our kids when they come to grade 12 and above, right? Um, so the idea is how do we instill these kind of life-worthy skills that they need um, to succeed in that ever-changing world? What were the definition of success is for them? That's kind of where we come from. Yeah, what are the obstacles? Because you're trying to maintain the curriculum as well as you have multiple schools in place. So, you know, when you have a curriculum as a product and you have culture being set up in different franchises. Uh, so how, how, how do you manage that? And that coming in, getting instilled into your into your kids. So how, how do you manage that? So again, there's two different um, kind of institutions, right? So on each uh, on each level, it's slightly different. So um, that's why we do have the franchises. Again, the way that we're able to maintain quality is by making sure that um, we choose the right people to partner with, right? So it's only people who believe in us, who the experience are kind of with their kids or their you know nieces or nephews who've come in or who fought with us who said we love this and we want to expand this and they're the ones who've partnered with us to grow so choosing the right partners is really important in terms of maintaining that quality two is that we really don't look at it so much as franchises versus us when it comes to the kindergarten uh, sector it is really one kind of huge family that access to the founder is there for everyone whether they're a franchise our own center or they are our own center so we don't differentiate um, although we have both so it's very much run as a very kind of seamless unit uh, but I think the obstacles certainly changing mindset right so whether it's the mindsets of the parents or the mindsets of the teachers it's been slow going and Seed has been able to do that because it's been now what 17 years and over those 17 years, we now attract the right kind of people with the right kind of mindsets for our kindergarten program. That being said, there are still a bunch of people who say, oh, my child is not writing and they're in LKG and they're not learning cursive, but my friend's child is and they're in that school and they're learning cursive in LKG, even though learning cursive in LKG is not developmentally appropriate. Right. So those sort of comparisons, that sort of competitiveness of, oh, I need to be ahead in the game. My child needs to go to the next level, um, must compare with all the other schools. That sort of mindset is what we're trying to break and trying to focus on, hey, if we do things in the developmentally appropriate way, your child will learn. They learn better. They learn having much more fun and it's going to be instilled in them. But it's going to be a different journey than the one that you see happening around you. Very interesting. So, uh, see, I, I grew up in a school where there was IB and IGCSE going on parallel, right? So uh, we did both. Which school was that? I, I uh, studied in Indonesia. So we did 
the PYP, MYP, IGCSE, and O levels all put together. So it was it was it was mixed up. We got confused. But anyways, so <laughs> like I understand it's it's a very big difference in terms of ideology because I've been I I was educated in India in a normal CPSC school as well, and when I moved to the international curriculum, it was a difference of ideology between parents, and, yeah. and it's very difficult for them to understand the nuances of the style of education, the style of homework, and the style of uh, the subject itself, and the heaviness of the subject. Right. So, how are you trying to educate the parents on that? Because it's a very big task. Because end of the day, you can only teach to a certain extent to a student, but they go back home and they unlearn and relearn other things. How are you differentiating? So I do get questions like this, and as an educator, I do sometimes get frustrated by these sort of questions um, because that's just not our aim. Our aim is not to cover the textbook and have them answer test papers and be done. So the parent education piece is crucial. So we do do a I mean, we should probably be doing a lot more, but we do do a lot of parent outreach. We do have coffee chats with them for them to come and understand. We do orientations, uh, parent workshops. So it is a village that raises a child. Like just by coming to school and going back, and especially now when your school is in your home, it's just from a little laptop. Um, the home environment and the ideologies of the parents play a huge role. You know. Many parents want something different. That's why we have the parent days that we have. They want this sort of education for their children. But when the reality of it comes into place, when they're given projects and they are like, "Oh my God, I have so much to do," like it's not your project. It's your child's project. They need to do it. It's not meant to add stress to you, right? We want your child to be an independent learner. Those sort of habits, their heart can break. And I think it takes a while for those habits to break and form the way they need to. I mean, um, that was super interesting because I think one thing really stuck with me over there. What you said about uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm paraphrasing a little bit. It's about learning the subject and not covering the book. Did you say something like yeah. that? Man, that should be yeah. on a T-shirt when you give when you start yeah. school. Because <laughs> like I think that is so important. People really don't, you know, they think it's about just covering the whole thing or like my. Child has finished all these things, so therefore he has learned it. But it's not necessarily the case yeah. with each child, right? It's going to be so different. Yeah. I think that's something. If you guys are able to uh, take that across, that philosophy of learning across, it definitely makes a huge difference. And uh, it's not easy because, like, correct me if I'm wrong again, but the Indian mentality of teaching is completely, you know, to educate your children is completely wrong, uh, in my opinion. And maybe it's not the right way right now either. And yeah. you know. Course correcting for that is going to be so um, uh, a big challenge. Um, just keeping on those, yeah. We don't go ahead. So just keeping on those lines. Um, how how is it? I mean, now we're facing a pandemic and kids are at school. It's all virtual. Sure, it's about covering the syllabus and learning the subject. But how do you get the kids to, or the parents for that matter, to make sure that kids are there and? They're learning and all of these things, and I'm sure now the burden is probably um, a lot more stressful in the head rather than physical. But that is equally, uh, you know, taxing on you as well. So, can you tell us how that adaptation has been and how that's working out? 
So surprisingly, actually, so I'm now focusing more on the K to 12 school, right? So the Seed Academy, the transition was actually a lot more smoother than I would have thought. Luckily, we kind of entered the pandemic towards the fag end of our academic year. So we, you know, transitioned smoothly there. And we had already included a lot of tools, I think, which helped us make that transition. Like, for example, we were already using Google Classroom, um, which the kids and the parents were used for. We were already using our school app to communicate. So you know, those sort of investments that we made kind of early on and the transitions that we made early on kind of helped us make this transition to virtual schooling a lot easier. That being said, of course, there were a ton of challenges. Um, how do we teach hands-on through a screen, right? Like that was always our big push for the teachers. Like how do you make sure the kids are engaged, that they're not just looking at the screen because if they're doing that, they might as well just learn from YouTube, right? So. The idea of bringing in flipped classrooms, how do we use breakout rooms effectively, a lot of, you know, even like from the beginning, do we spend the money for Zoom or do we use the free Microsoft Teams things? Like all of those different um, kind of questions that came up and our summer last year was very, very intense with training our teachers for this new <laughs> technology. Um, that being said, I would say like, I think, Having that growth mindset was really important for our teachers and for our kids. Our kids are troopers. They now know how to manage Zoom better than anyone else. You ask them to switch on a virtual background, they will have it in a second, right? They know how to use this technology. Um, I think the way we've been able to engage them has been because we've kept the child at the center of what we're trying to do, right? How do we make sure that they are engaged, they are learning, that they are um, enjoying this, even though it's virtual school. Um, by and large, we've had really, really positive feedback from our parents and our students. So hoping to channel that was not expecting to do another year of virtual learning. I will say that, you know, January was looking good. We were thinking, okay, maybe June we can open up physically in some form. Uh, obviously, all that is now not happening. So going back to the drawing board and saying, hey, how can we still make this? Okay, we're going to be online. Let's make this the best online virtual experience that we can have for our kids. Absolutely. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, just thinking about, I remember when it started off in the pandemic and when, you know, whatever the first year got over and then the second year was starting and then schools were like, well, we need to collect fees now. And then the parents were like, hey, my kids aren't even going to school what's the justification in me giving you this and from there to taking it across and saying yeah my kid your kid is the center of this class engaging them is going to be the center i think probably that might pay off even better than a uh, you know touch wood kid go back to school but this might be a great way and probably uh, open up new doors for um, you know diversification or even franchising on a very different level right i think it, the pandemic gives you opportunities Certainly does. Yeah, so I was just listening to Sundar Pichai talk about his launch of Lambda. And, you know, he was telling telling the audience about how he attended his uh, parents-teacher conference on a, on a Zoom, I mean, on a Google talk, right? So it's just not the kids. It's, it's all the parents who have more efficient time to give to their kids because they can manage these avenues of interaction. So I think it's heading in the right way because... I do believe this makes it more accessible for education for a kid and their parents as well. So 
how are you managing the safetyness of this group right like how are you managing the inclusiveness uh, you know inclusion of students and parents on an online platform because the content has to be precise the distribution has to be precise getting them getting them all on the same framework of education should be extremely precise and calculated so how are you guys doing that because you're bringing out your own curriculum and content so um our own curriculum is mostly on the field front so up to kindergarten so with our key school and uh, lkg ukg from grade 1 onwards we do follow the adexel curriculum so it's not our own although we have created things like our own course paths for students and you know material that we think is important for them to have that being said the curriculum is only kind of a list of to do um the methodology of how we implement those to dos are what makes the school different and what makes these schools different even if they're following the same curriculum um i think in terms of safety and so there's a couple of different elements when you think about that right so one is online school has obviously made it it's like it's you're very vulnerable as a school right because before it was just parents dropping off their kids picking them up at the end of the day and now we have parents kind of sitting in on every single class that's happening right i've had calls from parents saying oh this teacher is calling only on that other child a lot you know my child is getting left out um i've had parents <laughs> being like semi dressed in the background i've had grandparents drawing for the kid in their art class instead of letting the child draw so like there are so many different experiences that are happening with the online school but ultimately it's like you know when the dog lies down and shows her underbelly that's the most vulnerable right and that's how we are as a school um it's open and the thing that we have always said for all our parents and our students is that we only learn from feedback right we are a growing school um we have great intentions and we have a great vision and we need your help to get there so if there's something that you are seeing that you don't like you need to tell us because so that transparency is there and um that responsiveness to feedback is there and that's the only way that we're able to grow and kind of build our community there are other aspects to safety as in in terms of just internet safety right so the cyber safety aspect of it and we have strict protocols that everyone has to have their video on otherwise they can't attend school right um we do have uh, you know with the password we have a whole lot of stringent things to make sure that because you remember that in the last year they had people coming on like perverts coming on to school accounts and you know doing things that Talking, supposed yeah. to be done yeah and correct, so correct. we take all of those angles also very seriously and make sure that you know we only let in people and the child's name is on a whole lot of different systems and protocols that we've learned along the way that that help keep our children safe in terms of a cyber security perspective as well it's got to be quite uh, you know a lot of bases to get covered but I, as you said like with children you know we can't take any uh, shortcuts it's it's got to be the the right way or no other way right um exactly. and i think you spoke about transparency transparency is something that's so important not just you know within a family but also between the family and the school and and so many other sectors to deal with um just talking about that right like uh, what do you think you know as in this new form stream of education and uh, uh how 
things are changing so rapidly or, or th- things how they could change in the future what are the sort of things that you know as as a government or as a central body of education people so they should start bringing in what are the things that we can start looking forward to you know that could help uh, parents and school as a whole so i actually do think that the nec is a wonderful step in the right direction so the national education policy that came out last year uh is a really really comprehensive document and outlines great goals i think the biggest challenge will be the how again so it's easy to set great goals it's a matter of well how do you make this happen how do you train your teachers to be able to do project based learning like that's really really different from what they've been able to do so far so the angle of the training the angle of the how i think is going to be the key piece to make all of this all in place uh one thing that for me personally like i would love to see happen because you know we've done a whole lot of analysis uh, as you know i'm doing my masters right now at harvard uh graduate school of education and there in one of the classes i think we had this protocols of five whys right so you say a problem and then you say why and then you go down and say why 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 until you get down to the root cause of the issue and one of the big issues that i see as an educator and one of the places where i feel trapped as well is this idea of testing right so the idea of having these high stake tests which then kind of dictate what you need to do at that age and then dictate well if you need to be able to do x by age you know 15 you need to be able to do y by age 14 and builds up the pressure going downwards right i know why we need those high stake tests with a country with a population as large as ours like there has to be some sort of filtering mechanism i understand that i don't have the right solution to it given our scale uh, and our population but i wish we were not kind of trapped by this idea that a child has to perform really well in this one high stake test which is going to be their gateway to college and beyond right if we didn't have that i think we could do a lot more with our kids a lot more that should be done um so that's believe, something i would love to put yes, there I, i believe like you know when you emphasize on testing and you know like uh, and the role of technology right now there's a lot of ott platforms coming in the zedutech space like uh like the boom of uh, edutech startups which has just come in and uh, companies like reliance acquiring mvibe which is another big education platform and there are so many ott platforms coming in for education for it to be distributed to the nooks and corners of the country right and this looks like what netflix was at least 4 years back for a normal indian citizen so how should what are we, what are your views on that because being a standalone school and companies like these coming in and acquiring students and educating them in their own way with a different policies altogether so where do you see that heading in? i think it can be extremely powerful again depending on if it's done the right way so you look at a company like khan academy right whose entire focus has been on bringing education to every corner of the world bringing high quality education to every corner of the world um and you compare that to somebody like byju's and i think you might know where i would stand on that which is anyway i have to go get into that commentary <laughs> but it comes it comes down to the yeah. issue it comes down to why you're doing what you're doing and are you doing it the right way right so um i think technology can be extremely helpful because we need to be able to personalize education 
and that personalized education will happen only with the aid of technology i'm not saying it's going to be a replacement for the regular schools but technology can help us personalize education um that being said i don't think yet we're at a place where it can completely replace it unless we get a really good model and there are some good models out there i just don't think they're the ones that are being scaled the widest and being scaled as unicorns etc right now mm-hmm. another question i had for you is that you know like i've been, i've been very actively studying the space cuz i really uh, you know i really like the space right so i was just I was comparing a study with the education policies in finland and education policies in the southeast and india and in finland the kids hardly go to have like 2 hours of schooling a day and their literacy level is very high right so wow um, yeah and what is the major is it cause they uh, they go they have less interaction with teachers or less interaction with school so what is that happening there so i think uh, there are a lot of different factors that come into this right so one is the age from which schooling starts i think they start at a later age than we do the more formal schooling um i don't exactly recall what's the age for finland but it's certainly not 5 and a half it's either 6 or 7 uh when they actually start like regular school um so again going age appropriate is really important like if i could make that the case for india as well that we start grade one only after the age of 6 as opposed to right now it's sometimes it's 5 sometimes it's 5 and a half i think that would make even at that age because like 90% of your brain development happens before the age of 6 right um you need to give the time and space for that brain to develop the way it needs to develop before starting on the formal schooling system the second thing is the idea of play right so um children need time to play they need time to interact they need that social interaction they need time to explore their environment so at our school we include that as a part of our curriculum even at seed academy until uh, grade 2 we have outdoor play for the kids every single day sometimes it's structured as a pe class sometimes it's free play where they just get to play in the playground but they get play time every single day this is of course when we were functioning as a typical school um but you know so i think getting those things in is really important and one more thing is they experience the real world so school and education is not limited to your four walls in the classroom like education happens everywhere you know one of the one of my parents who had moved i think from sweden she was like oh my child doesn't know how to write very well because they focus on like crossing the road well and looking at road safety and like going into nature and going on hikes right i think that's so beautiful um as a way of learning and i think you know we we bring certain elements of that into our school but we're not fun- we're not set up to function like that uh, i think india as a country is a little bit harder to do things like that unless you're very intentional about it you know our weather doesn't lend itself to it our safety levels outside there's a whole lot of infrastructural kind of constraints that are put on you in terms of how much exploration you can do out there but those are a few of the elements that i think make a big difference mm-hmm. absolutely i also think ex- speaking of finland yeah. actually we had a visitor oh sorry i was just going to say no, we had a on. visitor from finland a couple of years ago um who was helping to set up schools in finland and like they were helping to set up schools in india following the finnish style and when he visited our seed academy setup and understood what we were doing 
he was like, actually, like, there's not much I can tell you guys. I think you're set up very similar. And I was like, oh, wow, that's such a huge compliment. That's brilliant. So, that was pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah. So I think, like, uh, it's also the economic standpoint of a country, right? Uh, in India, our population is trained to be part of the employment uh, uh, structure where we have to join in producers and produce mass population to join back to the industry and start producing production, right? So we're in the product production-based country. So maybe it's it's also that. And uh, so so coming back to you, like you know, like how you've mm-hmm. gone back to school to relearn and retool yourself. Talk us about uh, tell us about your journey to how. Oh, so I mean, I've always wanted to do my master's in education. It's been what? Oh, when I graduated in 2012, it's almost 10 years since I was last in a, in a proper classroom. Um, so I think for me, my aim was, I've always been a little bit insecure as my identity as an educator, um, because I didn't have a formal background in education, right? So my training was in business. My training was in management. And um, my... Uh, kind of passion for education has driven me and has given me kind of my inputs and I would do research and stuff like that but I didn't have any formal stamp uh, saying you know yeah I'm certified to do the job that I'm doing um, so that's always been an intention for me like a gap that I wanted to fill I knew I wouldn't be able to leave the school again and you know move across the continent uh, to or across countries to um, study in person in any of the top tier schools. So for me, the pandemic and Harvard opening up their um, course online was a silver lining of this pandemic. I stumbled upon it. I had not been looking at it. It was a conversation I was randomly having with my mom. I have this document of like online master's programs that I've had from 2017. And uh, randomly I was talking to my mom, saying, oh, maybe like, you know, things are changing right now. Let me just check. And there it was, it was like, okay, apply in June and or apply in July. And this was June beginning last year. And I was like, oh my God, okay, let me just apply. And so worked on it really, really hard for that one. I drove everyone around me nuts with reading my application several times, reached out to mentors and HCSC alumni who I kind of contacted through my network. And I think it was a community effort for me to get in for sure. And I, I would say it's one. It's been one of the best experiences of my life. I think a lot of validation in the ideas that I had, a lot more learning. So, you know, there's this course called Deeper Learning by Jal Mehta, and um, a lot of the ideas and ideologies that I had, I didn't even know that there were these names for it, and that there was so much research behind it, and people have studied this from all around the world. So, it's been eye-opening. It's been amazing. I'm so excited for another year. I'm doing the program part-time because it's online and because I'm also working and just trying to soak up as much as I can and, and give it back into my school in, in, in as many ways possible. Tell us about the future goals of yours. Where are you heading now? So I think um, my future goals are honestly to work to make my vision a reality. So we are marching towards that closer and closer to that vision every year. But that vision of deeper learning, of helping each child really understand who they are, 
um, you know, helping them learn about their passions. Like those are all still, we have a lot, long way to go as a school. I would say like, I am my own harshest critic. I am my school's harshest critic and its biggest cheerleader. But um, I know where those gaps are. So focusing on really filling out those gaps, fulfilling our potential as a school, helping our children reach their potential first, and then we'll look to grow. We've had opportunities to grow already. We've had people come and say, hey, we want to franchise your school. And I've been very clear that unless I see a model that like can really work, um, I'm not going to grow. And so working to build up that model, and I think we're getting there, right? So we're, we're getting there slowly but surely, inching our way towards it year after year. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I want for us. That's amazing. Wani, um, the few things that I want to touch back, um, you know, looking at how this entire journey has been. Uh, you said it started probably about uh, somewhere about two decades ago. Um, and mm-hmm. you guys had the option. I mean, you said there's a lot where you are getting yourself uh, formally trained about education. Uh, but mm-hmm. when you, when your parents started this business, were they also formally trained in education? Or why is it that they chose a school of all things? Because they could have done so many things, right? Yeah. So it's not really parents. It's my mom. Sorry. My yeah. dad, uh, yeah, my dad was always involved in the companies and then he now handles our finances, but he's certainly not involved with the uh, running of the school or anything. So this is completely my mom's passion. So she actually um, has a dual master. She had a master's in, uh, uh, I think, biosciences or something. Um Oh, nutrition and biochemistry from Bombay. Wow. She was a gold medalist of a college. And then she also did her master's in early childhood education when she moved to the U.S. So she was working with this federally funded program called Head Start when she was in New Jersey. And within six months of joining from like a teacher, she grew to the director of programs over there in her oh. center and uh, was involved with the research that her program director was doing. And so she saw the way early childhood education was in the U.S. Um, she worked in that space and really loved it and uh, wanted to get back to her love of education. Finally, in 2004, she made it happen. And, uh, you know, she had some amount saved away and she was like, you know, I'm not going to take money from anyone else. I'm going to grow this by myself. And it was her investment of that five lakhs back in 2004 to, you know, that helped the seed grow. (laughs) <laughs> I think the next question is going to be quite easy for you to answer, but who are the role models and inspirations you've had along the way that have taken you to the journey and who do you look forward to? I think, uh, as you can probably surmise, one of my biggest inspirations and role models is my mom. Uh, I think, you know, even when we work together, we have such different ideas. Um, we fight a lot, no doubt. So like, you know, while we're working on something, we do fight. I'll have one opinion, she'll have another. But ultimately, when we both finally agree on something, it's a really good product. Um, and the way she's able to connect with people, the way she can connect with parents. I've always told her that she should, she should be like Oprah. 
Like she should have her own like Oprah show because she has. Next like, time, next time, let's uh, let's have her mother here, Pranab. Absolutely, that's some <laughs> that's some pure hustle from being a biochemist, a bi- uh, studying biochemistry to education. I think she's probably understanding the nuances of how chemistry is working in your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, no, we cut you off. Like, uh, no, so I think um, that sort of passion and uh, you know really that relentless focus on quality is something that I really admire and that I'm hoping to bring into my own practice and you know certainly one of the big role models. So, uh, so have you been like? Uh, I know you're an active reader and you you host book clubs and so talk about that uh-huh. and. I think apart from my uh, thing, so book club has been awesome. I've always been an avid reader my entire life. I think I got that from my sister. So you know, we used to sneak rooms into the bath, um, books into the bathroom, and like read for hours there. And so everyone always thought, like, why are they in the bathroom all the time? It was because we were reading. Um, and I found this amazing group of people last year. It's been only like a year and a little bit. So Simran Nishani, who runs Pink Cheese Designs, and Kavya Gilder and Hurans Last One Dance, uh, they started this book club and it's just been awesome because I never thought reading could be something that could be like a communal activity. Um, you know, it's always been just reading for pleasure, reading by myself. So having this community of strong young women who have similar viewpoints, it's, it's been really lovely. And we host these book clubs, each get a turn once a month. Um, you know, yeah. sorry, once a year. And book recommendations for our audience, and you know, what book has changed you? So right now, our book club <laughs> month, uh, book club read for the month is the Telomere Effect, which I'm excited to read. Um, I'm I literally just started it today, but it seems really interesting. I think another book recommendation. So I love historical fiction. One of my all-time favorite books is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Um, if you have a chance to read it, it's a really beautiful kind of World War II based book. It's just beautifully written and I can't recommend it enough. I also like a lot of chiclet. And so if you're looking for that genre, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo was another book that I could not put down. Oh, I also really like just now I finished reading, uh, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which, um, it's kind of like a science fiction book, but really interesting view on life. It makes you question the kind of decisions that you've made and kind of where you've ended up now and where you could have ended up if you'd made other decisions. It's really interesting. We always have a question before we close the session is that uh, we put out, I mean, it's the billboard question, right? So we put out a billboard on a highway and what would you like to quote on the billboard if you had to say something to the world? Don't be afraid to be who you are. Inspiring, Ani. Uh, so just, I remember when we started off this thing, you said um, you do listen or you were listening to some podcasts. Can you tell us some of the podcasts you listen to? Ooh, I like The Seen and The Unseen. I forgot who posted, but I... Seen, I yes, it's my IBM podcast. IBM. Yeah. 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 They talk I, a lot I about history like and civic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I love Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. And recently I've been listening to Work Life with Adam Grant. So he was a professor of mine at Penn. He's amazing. Um, Mani, Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, you've gone this far in your journey. What is the next phase? Or where do you see this next chapter of your um, uh, career as an educator? 
moving into i think um the next phase is going to be really hopefully implementing all that i'm learning right now so learning is nothing unless it's actually used right or it's not really put to its fullest potential unless it's actually used. i mean in that so, theory then that's going to be your entire life the next rest of your life yeah. is going to be that It's right. pretty much going to be that, right? <laughs> Because you're always learning, you're always looking to grow, and I think, um, yeah, I, I want to definitely focus on that. Yeah, what I realized was it—it's really beautiful that between yourself and your mom, uh, not like many other in- educational institutions, it's exactly what happens. It's what the family goes through. Therefore, you guys share that same thing, right? It's what the the, the daughter is learning from the mother, and that's the same thing what happens to home, and that sort of. philosophy makes a complete difference uh, along that entire ecosystem and channel right so that's something that i i think was um, definitely inspiring and probably that makes a difference to your uh, parents and your the kids in your school as well right i mean on on some level so can you tell us a little bit about um what it is for you know these kids to be there at a seed academy right now i will actually share one thing so um there was this quote from a child named uh, niranjan who has been with us from his pkg in in our various schools and is now going with us to ninth grade and i'm going to actually just find it because i had a picture of what he had written when we spoke about school yeah do so, you like me to read it yeah, vani do you want to read it okay yeah I can yeah I can read it if you want. So oh, he says I can't explain it in words it is in my heart. As freedom rings in this school we get taught to be a good person no matter where you're from what you learn and how you learn people care about you. And I think that about sums it up. Oh wow. It's amazing. That's I how, don't how old is this kid? Anything like that about my school. He was in, he was in 6th grade when he wrote this. He's now in ninth, but he was in sixth when he wrote this. So you got to read the second uh, verse as well. Okay. So the second part <laughs> is, what is your favorite part about Seed Academy? And he says, you get as much freedom as you want. They support you for what you want. They expect us to make mistakes. Everyone are our friends, even teachers. They make us understand, not memorize. Amazing. So inspired, buddy. And yeah, uh, that's exactly like how yeah. I mean. That's how I think a parent should be, and my parents have also been like that to me. They've always given me the freedom. This is a beautiful philosophy, and if that's how you guys uh, take it across to your students, then I think you know that's a great place to um, be as an educator. I would say. Thank you. And it's the, the kids are fortunate to get that access to freedom, right? Because not many have it, and uh, it's. it's a privilege in a country like india where we live in cuz not many get that that's amazing work and so inspired and thank you so much once again thank you for listening to the 30 minute hustle podcast you can follow us on instagram for all our latest updates until next time signing off this is pranab and my co-host janish 